This is Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe. Now, here's Patrick McEnroe. All right, time for another edition of Holding Court, everyone. Patrick McEnroe here, and it truly is an honor to have uh, one of the groundbreaking people in all of the world of professional tennis. She's been... I don't know if it's because you've been involved in the game for so long. That's one notch on your record. It's Ann Worcester, by the way, who now is the president of UTR, the Universal Tennis Rating, which I absolutely want to get into that with you, Ann. But first I want to ask you, because you were the first ever female CEO okay, of any major sports organization. In this case, of course, it was the WTA Tour, and you were just a young buck. Well, you're still young, you're, you know, but you were in your 30s at that point, which was amazing. Then you went on, obviously, to run the Connecticut Open for, I think, about 20 years. So uh, before yeah. we get into like the, you know, the business side of it and all you've done there in UTR, how did you just get into tennis at all? Did you play tennis as a junior? How did you get into the game? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Um, twice in one week, right? That's right. We did a little Zoom um, well, call. Yeah, We did. We did. That was fun. Um, I played tennis all my life. I came from a tennis family. My parents actually taught lessons to, like, my friends, you know, on Saturday mornings. And my dad always made us play matches in between. So I grew up playing and, you know, I was a good high school player and, you know, captain of the team and all that. Um, but I didn't play competitive events. We didn't have the means. And of mm-hmm. course there was no UTR recognizing high school play. So right. I didn't even think about playing in college. Um, so I went off to Duke university and thought, well, maybe I'll, you know, try and walk on. Mm-hmm. And um, I literally was like on my way to try out, first week of freshman year, which I was a little nervous about the academics and playing for a D1 team. And I just said, you know, I don't want to be a professional tennis player when I grow up. Why am I going to spend 80 hours a week practicing and training and playing matches? I literally turned around and walked back to my dorm and I saw, and and I saw this sign that said, join the Oktoberfest committee. (laughs) And in high school and in junior high, I organized uh, lots of things, you know, student council, I organized proms and mm-hmm. senior trips and all that. So I joined the Oktoberfest committee and for four years I got totally caught up in the student union, organizing plays and concerts and movies and speakers and Oktoberfest and Springfest and like literally my parents would call me and say, are you studying? Like, you know, we're really happy that you love all this volunteer work, but like we sent you for an education. <laughs> right. And then, then senior year, I was super confused. I was an economics major, but I was minoring in uh, the Palestinian problem and uh, uh, Middle East relations. And um, senior year, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was interviewing on Wall Street, thinking about like the Peace Corps and kind of everything in between. That's mm-hmm. how confused I was. And this guy walked up to me on the quad and said, hi, um, my name is Todd McCormick, and we have some friends in common, and I know what you do here at Duke with the student union. I think you'd be pop- perfect for my father's company, IMG. Wow, okay. And so, yeah, yeah, so talk about, like, kismet. So he wanted me to go work on the Pope trip to London and you know work for free and fly myself over there, and I did not have the means to do that. Mm-hmm. 
and I had student loans to pay. So I went off to Spain to work as an au pair and just because I wanted to improve my Spanish because I knew the only thing I knew is I wanted something international. Mm-hmm. And I, my Spanish was junior high school level. So I went off to Spain, worked as an au pair, came back six months later, went to visit a Duke friend in Lexington, Kentucky, and bumped into Todd McCormick, believe it or not. Just by said, chance. You know, he, he was teaching at the same Montessori okay. school as my girlfriend, TJ. Hmm. So we all go out to dinner. Um, and he said, oh, now why didn't you ever, you know, follow up with IMG? And I said, well, I really couldn't afford to go take that volunteer job in London. Mm-hmm. And so he, so he told me again what IMG was all about, and I, I was probably much more prepared to listen. And so the next day he sent my resume to his father, and literally the only entry-level opening in the whole company was in Racketsport. Hmm. So like one month later, I was starting work at the U.S. Pro Championships, uh, Longwood Cricket Club right. outside of Boston. Boston, Massachusetts. Remember sure. that tournament? Sure. Uh, On clay, yep. like followed Stratton or something. And um, I was literally answering the phones and taking ticket orders, Patrick, making $250 a week with my Duke Honors Degree. Wow. And all my friends thought I was completely crazy. Well, now, and, well, like, now, now, I, a, yeah, now I know where you got your <laughs> skill because, you know, with the Connecticut Open, I mean, you always came up with the most unbelievable ideas. You were so far ahead of your time when it came to, you know, the entertainment to have for fans. So now I know it was all those years doing the Oktoberfest at, at Duke because, I mean, yes. that was, that was yes. like old hat for you. That's funny. That that's a that's a good point. Yeah, I was always kind of in the entertainment business, and um, yeah, so we took great pride in sort of turning the you know sort of wrapping the live tennis at the Connecticut Open with a festival of fun and and, and you know entertaining events and amenities all all week long. So yeah, I, I must really I must say I'm a little bummed. Probably started yeah. back at Duke. Yeah, I must say I'm a little <laughs> bummed though that you didn't scratch that itch to, to try to get on the Duke team. I mean, I'm it's amazing to hear that story, but I I wonder I wonder what would have happened. I wonder. I thought you were going to say when you yeah. were senior you decided to go for the team and you made it. You know, you made the team and then. But that didn't happen. Okay, so you go to IMG and you spend how many years there and and, and how did your so job evolve I, there? So, you know, because I spoke Spanish, they put me in the player liaison role and, you know, when I wasn't selling tickets and then they kind of, or, you know, promoted me to corporate sales and I worked on different tournaments up and down the eastern seaboard and then they had this partnership with Butch and Cliff Buckle to run the first ever Lipton International Players Championship mm-hmm. in Delray Beach at Lavers. Remember that? I sure do. Absolutely. And and so they sent me down to be the ticket manager of this two-week, 28-session tournament being played in like a 14,000-seat stadium. And needless to say, I was in so way over my head. <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, somehow we got through and played the first year at Lavers and the second year at Boca West. And the second year, I was promoted to the director of corporate sales. So mm-hmm. I was responsible for sponsorship, which, of course, was always my love. Where the real money, and, where um, the real money comes to support these tournaments, yeah, right? Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly, exactly, the, the backbone. And so, uh, and then I went back up to Philadelphia, worked for Marilyn Fernberger. Sure. 
and uh, in Philadelphia doing corporate sales. And then I had this, IMG came back to me and said, would you like to go back to Spain? And we have a partnership with Manolo Santana and we're going to run eight tournaments and exhibitions in 1987. And we would like one of our own to go over there and be on his team. So I said, absolutely. So I went back to Spain and instead of being like a babysitter or a nanny, I you know, had a real job, and um, I lived in Madrid and traveled all over the country, and we ran events in Palma de Mallorca, Marbella, mm. Barcelona, Madrid, wow. and it was, I, you know, I lived in this great apartment hotel in the middle of Madrid, and I was always traveling to great places, mm-hmm. and Manolo was very, very progressive. Most men just assumed I was the secretary. Mm-hmm. And, but Manolo was like, here's half my desk. And he want, you know, he let me manage player relations, media relations, sponsorship, uh, public relations. I mean, he really gave me a ton of responsibility. My Spanish, you know, had, you know, got better and better. Right. And I had the, the greatest year. And I almost stayed. Um, it was, you know, very unusual to be a female working in sports marketing in 1987 in Spain. So I got a lot of interesting offers for the World Fair and the mm-hmm. Barcelona Olympics. But I knew if I stayed, I'd probably never come home. And I didn't want to be away from my family and my parents on Long Island. So, because um, you know, I grew up in Syosset. Okay, yeah, right sure. Next to Oyster Bay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So, um so came back and got this fantastic job with Virginia Slims as the director of global operations when Virginia Slims was, you know, the, the title sponsor of you know, the tour. Right. And so I, and we had 17 Virginia Slims named events in the United States in major markets, Virginia Slims of Chicago, Virginia Slims of Philadelphia, Virginia Slims of LA. I mean, that, that was the heyday of American tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, all culminating at the Virginia Suns Championships at Madison Square Garden. Unbelievable. And, yep. and then I traveled to the Grand Slams and the other majors to just to ensure compliance and mm-hmm. manage player relations. And it was an amazing role. And so, and then I was Virginia Suns representative on the Women's Tennis Council, which was the then governing body with players and tournaments and and now, and now let me and just let, let me let me just chime in for a second because at this time you're like in your late 20s early 30s right mm-hmm. amazing i'm 31 yeah, 31 yeah okay. i'm 31 yeah and i get recruited to succeed jane brown mm-hmm. as the managing director of the women's tennis council right. at 31 years old and so that was a giant stretch and step, you know, is a, a, a huge learning curve and a, a huge, huge teaching moment for me. Mm-hmm. And so that was three years and, you know, Monica Sellis getting stabbed. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Having to ban, having to ban Mary Pierce's father and mm-hmm. all kinds of other really, really difficult, challenging situations. And that's, and we also went through this integration of the Women's Tennis Council acquiring the then Player Association so that we could become one WTA tour because the tobacco sponsorship was running out. We mm-hmm. were going to have to go it alone for the first time ever. We'd be the WTA tour instead of the Virginia Sun Series. Big, big changes. Right. And so um, we were looking for a CEO um, that the sport was looking for a new CEO. 
the players came to me and said, we want you to be, we need a very strong leader in this new format. We no longer have a uh, player association. We want you to be our lead board rep and help us with all of our, you know, issues and policies. And I signed a contract with them. And somewhere in there, I met my husband literally as I was leaving Philip Morris Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and we wanted to start a family, you know, start, started thinking about moving to Connecticut. So I was going to have this great job representing the players in this new world and, you know, start a family. Mm. And, the, and, the, and the Women's Tennis Council board, the players and the tournaments and the ITF and the Grand Slams could not, they couldn't agree on the next CEO. And so I'll never forget, I was in the restroom during the U.S. Open board meeting and Martina and I think it was Pam and Pam Schroeder, uh, yep. Mary Jo yep. yeah, cornered me and said, as much as we want you to be our leader in this new, you know, new model and new, uh, you know, new, new uh, WTA tour model, everyone in that room can only agree on one person and they would like you to be our next CEO and the wow. first CEO of the fully integrated mm-hmm. WTA tour. So nobody was more surprised <laughs> than me. And then my husband, <laughs> right. Exactly. After we're going to settle down. So, right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, honey, um, I, I can make this work. I can do this. And he completely supported me. God mm-hmm. bless him. And, uh, you know, so that's how it all came together in 1994. And, you know, it was big, a big integration of the Players Association, which brought us a lot of debt. So we had a lot of financial uh, turnaround to accomplish. And we wound up hiring IMG to help us find a new tour sponsor. And IMG challenged us to create international television pooling. Because at that point, the tournament uh, sold, had all their domestic and international rights. So for the first time in the tour's history in 1995, we created television pooling and the player, the tournaments kept their domestic rights and sold their uh, international rights to the, to the tour. And thankfully IMG hit it out of the ballpark and uh, you know, we like tripled tournaments revenues in some cases. And then uh, we also, you know, had a kind of a dearth of top names. It was like the Steffi Graf. You sure. Know, show and there was a sort of a burgeoning r- rivalry with Arancha Sanchez Vicario, but Monica was still off the tour. Jennifer was off the tour. Gabriella retired in '95. Chrissy had retired. Martina retired for the first time. So it was really we were there was a dearth. Of, that was when Sports Illustrated came out with that you know awful cover: "Is Tennis Dying?" Right. Right. And so. We said, okay, we got to do a much better job of telling these players stories and teaching the next generation mm-hmm. that they have to take a much bigger role in the marketing and promotion of their sport. So that's when we created this ACES program that mm-hmm. is still alive and well to this day, where players just had to change their mindset that their paycheck was not just for what happened on the court, but mm-hmm. off the court, and that they had to contribute a lot. You know, they'd been handed this legacy. Right. And they needed to participate much more in the marketing and promotion of their sport 
and do a lot more with hospital visits and fan friendly mm-hmm. visits and sponsor visits and all the stuff you see them doing now as you know as common commonplace. Yeah, and I think the players, so, um, I think the players nowadays certainly know that that's part of the deal, particularly the younger players coming up now. You know, mm-hmm. Naomi Osaka's and right. you know, the, the six right. of passes on the men's side. They sort of know that that's part of the deal. So I want you to you know talk a little bit about how you you know. Obviously, you were there in those years in the WTA. Then you spent 20 years at the Connecticut Open. So, you know, tell me a little bit about how you think it's not just women's tennis, but pro tennis has evolved and changed over these years. And and, and then we'll get into the UTR because I really want to talk to you about that as well. But just give me your overview of kind of where tennis has gone in these last 25 years. You know, I think that there's a lot of really great things about tennis, but I think tennis is a fragmented sport. And as long as we keep sort of selling in silos, decentralization decreases value and, you know, centralization would increase value. And when you look at our sport compared to football, you know, soccer, football and golf and, you know, pretty much every other sport, our revenues, are are minimal mm-hmm. and the grand slams the four crown jewels so you know there's probably a hundred plus atp and wta events but the grand slams are 66 percent of the revenue in all of tennis wow four tournaments mm-hmm. four tournaments and if you look at sort of the revenues of you know, the pga tour compared to the atp tour um you know we you know it's it's a fraction of what golf is bringing in. So while we've had all these silos and kind of alphabet soup, other sports have lacked us. And mm-hmm. we need to realize that, you know, the, the competition is not within. The competition is external. It's all the other sports and, and entertainment properties that are fighting for market share and mind share. Mm. And, you know, I, you know, I, I think it's fantastic that the seven stakeholders have been meeting more and more even before COVID hit. Right. Um, because we need to collab, you know, we need to do more together, collaborate more and make this sport more of a, you know, easier for fans to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's probably too many tournaments. It gets very confusing. And then along comes, you know, against that backdrop, along comes covid which has proven that tennis is not recession proof. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are, you know, broadcasters and sponsors and partners are likely going to course correct their revenues. They've already started. Yep. Look at all the, the tournaments that haven't been able to operate. If the Connecticut Open missed one year of operating, we would have been out of business. Right. We didn't have $5 million in in the bank to, 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 we didn't have those reserves. Yeah. So the majority of the tennis, so, the professional tournaments out there are in the same boat as the Connecticut open, the majority, not the big ones, but yeah, most it, of the tournaments. Right. Everybody has a different financial situation, but I, it would be very hard for many tournaments to sit out for a year and not operate and come back the next year. And so, uh, you know, my heart goes out to, you know, all those tournaments with such great histories and great markets and great fans and great sponsors. Um, you know, it's, you know, this is this, this virus and this global, 
you know, lockdown is really going to leave a scar. Well, but, you know, there's, there's that famous quote, never let a good crisis go to waste. Like this is <laughs> right. a real opportunity yep, for even more collaboration, collaboration right? Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see if it happens. The jury's out on if, if that will happen, but we certainly all hope that it does. So let's move over to universal tennis, which is where you started, I guess, almost two years ago now. And, and you guys have sort yep. of taken over, uh, what I call, you know, junior tennis and, and, and the rating system is basically, uh, in lieu of a ranking system. So everyone's got a rating starting from a 10 year old kid who plays locally to Serena Williams and, and, and Roger Federer. So why did you decide that this was the right move for you? Yeah, good question. I, when, when we sold the tournament, which was very sad, but um, it was a, a, you know, amazing to hear how the tournament had touched so many people's lives over 21 years. Um, I was going to take time off um, because I hadn't taken time off. I, you know, been working straight through having kids and, you know, feeling like my hair was on fire driving up and down I-95 for, for 21 years. Right. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take some time off. But when you sell your tournament to China and it's very public news, you know, there, there's no, you know, everyone knows you're available. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, all kinds of interesting things, you know, came, came, you know, through the, you know, email and phone and WNBA and U.S. Golf Association and um, opportunities in tennis, opportunities outside tennis, board positions. Um, and it was a lot of fun just networking with people, you know, friends from, you know, being in the business for 35 years. And it's amazing how, you know, broadcaster friends and sponsor friends and league friends, all different, you know, leagues. Everybody just opened up their, you know, their, their, you know, offices and their, you know, advice. And it was really, really fun to network. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, then Tony Godsick introduced me to Mark Leshley. Sure. And I didn't know anything about Universal Tennis because Universal, you know, UTR is, is all about the grassroots game. Right. And so in pro tennis, you know, we don't, you know, we didn't, you know, we didn't really know, we didn't talk about it a lot, didn't know about it a lot back then. And so I, the more I learned about it, um, the more I was attracted to join this like digitally savvy company who can move really fast to get things done as opposed to governing bodies mm -hmm. and, you know, only had one, one interest and that's the consumer, the tennis player. Mm. You know, there's no, you know, no politics. It's just all about the consumer. And so, you know, I was really kind of seduced by the opportunity to use 35 years on all sides of the sport, the player side, the tournament side, the governance side, the sponsor side, the NJTL side, to grow the game at the grassroots level, which, you know, after being a part of our New Haven experience, you know how passionate I am about growing the game right. at the grassroots and community level. So it was a chance to use all my experience and perspective and relationships to grow tennis at the grassroots level using technology. Well, that's the and, thing. And, you know, you, know, you, you said and, something so interesting, the consumer, you know, the consumer is number one and, and, and you know, tennis could learn mm -hmm. a lot from universal tennis and what they've been doing. Mm -hmm. So, 
it's been like drink and and I had to get out of my comfort zone with technology because I needed to learn a lot more. And you know, if you would have told me twenty months ago that I would be on all these tech platforms and you know, living in the technology world and as comfortable as I am and I you know, I've just learned so much. I have really, really great team, so much respect for my team. And um you know, we're, you know, 2020 was this incredible growth year where, you know, the rating has a 12-year history. It was mm-hmm. founded by college coaches in Virginia and because college coaches needed a gold standard for recruiting. They couldn't go and... They couldn't and, travel and they all over the, the world. They right. the money. They right. could, yeah, exactly. They couldn't travel all over the world. So the rating is still the core or the foundation of the company, but Universal Tennis, since Mark Leslie bought the company three years ago with partners like Team 8, Roger Federer's company, and Tennis Channel, and Tennis Australia, and Larry Ellison, and Novak Djokovic. Um, a whole entire engagement platform has been built with tools and technologies to drive participation and play. So there's tools and technologies for high school play, mm-hmm. for college play, for clubs, for academies, for NJPLs. And so there's, you know, something like 2.3 million profiles on the platform and 20 oh, million amazing. results from 200 countries. And 2020, COVID was a, a blockbuster year where we saw meteoric growth. You know, more than $3 million in prize money tournaments played on the platform, 47% increase in player growth. 183% increase in the clubs on the platform, the number of clubs. Including our, including our club. Yep, including our club, the John McEnroe Academy. Club. Yeah. And, yep, yep. Very proud of your academy. And 92% increase in the number of events run on the platform, which would include the events at your academy. Yep. Of which, so of which there are many. You know, no, it's been a, it's like, you know, there's some, there's some companies and, and groups that sort of figure out in during this, especially in this last year. Um, and you guys have done that. I mean, it's been an amazing to see it. You know, I knew about UTR obviously years ago, but to see the way it's blossomed in the last year has just been a, a testament to your guys, you know, the, the vision and then, and then even more important, the implementation. Yep. No, I mean, everything is, so like optimized and automated and scaled. Um, you know, we've just come out with you know flex leagues in August, um, which are going very very well all over the country. Um, just introduced um, universal team tennis for juniors. Flex leagues is largely for adults. Very very you know it's like playing uh, a league in counterparts, so there's no large gatherings during COVID. So it's, that's been very well received. And then we just this week um, announced Universal Team Tennis, and the response is overwhelming. Like, like, like it. The, the response was overwhelming from from our existing partner clubs all over the country well, to run I mean, uh, Universal it, Team Tennis in in local markets. It's an it's an it's an absolutely huge success story, and I want to I want I, I almost think like we we're gonna need to do another podcast because I've already kept you on longer than I promised you because it's so your story is so amazing. <laughs> and you have a board meeting, and I have a board meeting to get to, but uh, for our charity at our tennis academy. But uh, I do I do want to follow up on some more UTR stuff because I think it's a it, it's amazing. And uh, again, credit to you and to Mark who I've known for many many years. Um, and the whole team, because I know it's a, it's a team you. effort.
Stafford, Stephen Amitraj, my buddy from the USTA, who's there as oh. well. So keep up the He's great amazing. work, and I appreciate you coming Thank on. Thank you. And I feel like we could go on yes, for another well, hour easily. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's great to be reconnected with you, and I'm glad I have the right cell phone now. And we're happy to come back and talk uh, Universal Tennis anytime, and you just let me know. You're the best. And Worcester, or may, everyone. Or maybe we'll even get Mark on. You got that Thank right. you so much, Patrick. You're a All true a true trailblazer. And Worcester, everyone. Oh, you too. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. I'll, thanks for having me. You got Bye. It. Holding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media. Mm-hmm.